the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. While you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week. Indeed, we have a jam-packed studio with some fantastic guests, entrepreneurs, interesting people. You won't want to miss a minute of it. We are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. Give them a call, 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510. And they have a wealth of knowledge and information on human resources, the Affordable Care Act, and all sorts of other topics that all employers need to know about. Check out their website, Tandem HR. Dot com. So I'm thrilled to be joined, as promised, by my first guest, actually a team. Um, uh, two uh, of three partners are joining me here in studio from Chicago Furniture Bank. I'm thrilled to be joined by Griffin Amder and James McVale. Thank you so much for joining me here in studio, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate uh, being able to talk about our organization. Absolutely. So Chicago Furniture Bank, I've heard, um, I've heard uh, about uh, your very interesting and important work for multiple people, and it's uh, a pleasure to have you on. So let's start in the beginning. Uh, let's uh, let's talk with uh, each of you. Uh, Griffin, tell me uh, a little bit of your background, and uh, then we'll get to you, James. Yeah, so uh, my name's Griffin Amder. I grew up in Ravenswood um, and went to the University of Pennsylvania, where I studied business, um, and then uh, sort of came up with the idea of the Chicago Furniture Bank last summer when I was at my grandpa's house um, with I think we were watching a football game, and we started looking at all of his antiques um, and began having a conversation um, about the secondary market for used furniture. And we sort of realized there isn't much monetary value for used furniture, but a lot of times things still have you know intrinsic use for it. Um, and then starting my senior year of college at the University of Pennsylvania in September, I met up with my partners, James McPhail and Andrew Witherspoon, and uh, sort of discussed the idea of a furniture bank and... Um, knew that Penn had this prize called the University of Pennsylvania's President's Engagement Prize, which gives three senior projects seed funding in order to begin a social enterprise nonprofit. Um, so in September, we really started making the business plan, and uh, we're lucky enough to win um, uh, the engagement prize. Uh, that's fantastic. And um, yeah, grandparents' house do tend to accumulate things. So uh, it, it sounds like uh, there's a, a real story behind uh Behind the organization, um, but but James, tell me a little bit about um, yourself and sort of your inspiration to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. So I originally grew up in Rye, New York, uh, over on the East Coast. Uh, but me and Griffin have been really good friends all throughout college. Uh, we've actually been involved in a service organization uh, through college called Dream, where we mentored underprivileged youth 
uh, in a housing project uh, close by to campus. And that was a really f- formative experience uh, for me during my college years um, to be able to really give back to the, the community directly around me. Um, and, and I've always kind of been involved in, in that work. Our, our third partner, Andrew, who can't be here today, his parents were federal public defenders um, and, and always taught him the, the importance of ha- everyone having an equal opportunity in life. Um, and so because of this prize that, that Penn offered, uh, me, Griffin, and Andrew really sat down together and were able to come up with an idea uh, that I think has uh, allowed a lot of social good in Chicago and hopefully will continue to do so moving forward. Certainly. And, uh, you know, it's common on, on business websites. Uh, there's a list of services. There might be a list of pricing. I noticed that very, very prominently on your on your website, which, of course, we'll share with our listeners, there's a, a tab called Impact. And that tab actually was updated, it looks like, about 48 hours ago. And it talks about um, your reach and the things that have been accomplished. And it's truly very, very impressive. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of what you do, how people can get involved. Uh, Griffin, you talked earlier about uh, sort of the idea where this came up, the, the sort of that market. Um, and uh, so all of our listeners, we all, uh, we all have many, many things, things that accumulate over, over time. Let's talk about what you do and how people can benefit. Uh, I realize you're an organization, you're having impact, but let's talk about the services. Yeah. So as a furniture bank, we pick up donated furniture and gives it to people in need. So um, basically, we have a, a, a box truck and we go around mostly to resi- residential homes and uh, pick up donated furniture um, that people are trying to get rid of. Um, so oftentimes, these are people downsizing or just moving in general. Um, and then we bring back the furniture to our warehouse um, where we have 11,000 square foot um, of space with a 5,000 square foot showroom. And uh, we basically display different pieces of furniture for our clients to handpick a furnishing package. So things are donated. So yes, donated furniture. So we um, we 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 do couches, armchairs, dressers, uh, dining room tables. Uh, so at the moment, it's exclusively furniture, as the as the name of your organization suggests. Yeah. So we also do housewares as well. So okay. these are pots, pans, plates, um, also kitchenware items, small appliances. But so yeah, it's furniture and other, um, you know, basic things needed in order to start a new home. So your team picks up the items. Somebody contacts you through the website. They give you a call and they tell you, I have XYZ. You come out, you pick it up. Um, They get a uh, tax write-off? Yes. Fantastic. Um, That's great. And so, James, then what happens? So the items uh, come in. uh, They're housed at your uh, fantastic uh, warehouse. I imagine that you've uh, gotten in shape through all of this uh, schlepping and and we'll perhaps talk about the future of the organization and how you plan to scale and grow. But once the items come in, then what happens? Yeah, so once they come in, we obviously organize them all into different sections of our warehouse, display it nicely. And we have a network of over 100 nonprofit social service agencies throughout Chicago. So these are organizations that provide supportive housing to uh, low-income families and individuals uh, that, that need help, such as people that have been formerly homeless, victims of domestic violence, physically, mentally, uh, handicapped, um, all people really looking to get a fresh start in their lives. And their caseworkers schedule an appointment and and come in with them, and they actually get to handpick their entire new home of furniture. So they're the ones, you know, picking out the couch, matching it with the dresser and getting the right artwork they like. Um, And it's a really cool experience for them to be able to kind of take ownership over that new home. Uh, That's very, very impressive, and uh, I'll say it multiple times, but uh, congratulations and kudos for for all of the amazing work that you're doing. You're you're addressing, actually, a a need. I mean, uh, people have these items that they struggle with what to do with, um, so that alone is a need, but certainly, obviously, the need of people in the community is great, and 
and that's very important. So I mentioned earlier um, in my introduction, I've seen uh, the impact page on your website, and you talk a lot about the demographics of the people that you're servicing and the numbers of how many you have serviced. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as of today, we have successfully furnished 262 homes for two, for 603 people uh, and recycled over 80 ton, 138 tons of furniture. Uh, most of the most of our clients, uh, like I said, uh, over forty percent have been formerly homeless. Around ten uh, percent have faced domestic violence. A lot of these issues go hand in hand, actually. So the numbers are even larger uh, if you look at it in that scale. Uh, but these are all people that that we're serving truly the most in need, and we ensure that by really only allowing. Uh, people to come in through that network of our partnered nonprofit agencies. So that's a pretty fantastic and staggering number of the, obviously, the need that exists in the community. So uh, you're clearly addressing it. Um, but uh, what's next? How, how, how will you get to the next level? Yeah, so currently we are furnishing around five homes a day. Um, we started on August 8th, and um, initially, you know, we were, we were furnishing around seven or eight homes a week. Um, we were lucky enough to be given a, a sizable donation from a local philanthropist, Jim Maybe, who sort of allowed us to grow our operations and hire some labor. Um, so initially, about eight hours of the day, me and James and Andrew was you know driving, picking up furniture, doing actual physical labor. And um, now that we've been able to sort of hire some labor, um, you know, we've freed up some of our time. So we're looking to continue to grow our capacity. So starting next week, we're going to furnish about seven homes a day. So we're hoping for 35 homes a week. Um, and we currently have four full-time employees. Uh, our employees come from our partner nonprofits uh, workforce development program. So we sort of want to you know, keep it full circle. Um, in particular, we have employees from CARA Chicago, UCAN, and Chicago CRED. Um, so next week, you know, um, we're looking to get our second truck in order to you know, make uh, our delivery service in-house. And then uh, we're also starting this new partnership with Chicago CRED, which is going to give us new employees, about four more movers. So it's going to really greatly increase our capacity. Sure. Um, so and allow you to, to help even more people, which is uh, so important. So uh, believe it or not, we are running out of time, and I want to make sure that our listeners know how they can get involved, how they can donate, how they can volunteer, um, whatever the case may be. How can people get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. The best way to find us is on our website, chicagofurniturebank.org. On the website, there's a donate page where you can donate both financially as well as furniture. We're always looking for more furniture to give to people. Um, and then there's also a volunteer page where you can sign up to actually come into the warehouse, help the clients uh, come around, pick out the furniture, organize stuff. It's actually a really rewarding experience. All of our volunteers love it. Um, and if you're also a corporate partner, maybe you're a realtor, an estate sale company, so, you know, some, some corporation that has a lot of furniture and doesn't know what to do with it, please give us a call because we can ensure that all that furniture will go to people in need and give you a a tax deduction for that as well. And uh, real quick, uh, geographically, how far will you pick up furniture? Uh, We go wherever the furniture is. So um, all the suburbs in Chicago are fair game. That's great. And let's share that website one more time. ChicagoFurnitureBank.org. Fantastic. Thank you, Uh, Griffin, James. Appreciate you both coming in. Uh, Keep up the amazing work, and I look forward to following your progress here and get down to business. As always, get on my website, ShalomKlein.com. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, Chicago. You're listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. What a fascinating discussion with the founders of Chicago Furniture Bank. Uh, Certainly, I hope that all of our listeners will get in touch with them. But I'm thrilled to be joined by another fascinating, interesting entrepreneur. 
Uh, my next guest, Mark Graysman, uh, is a very accomplished entrepreneur and venture capitalist with a established track record of launching, scaling, and leading successful companies. Uh, Mark, welcome to the program, and you've brought a visitor in as well. I have. I'm happy to have my eight-year-old Stella here with me. And business partner? Um, and, and boss. Boss. Let's be honest. Okay. Not, not a partner quite. Yeah. <laughs> boss. I, everybody needs to know their place in life. Perhaps that's one of the lessons that we'll talk about. So, Mark, um, you, uh, you and I have been connected for a while, and I've watched, uh, just in this short period of time, your involvement in a number of companies. I want to talk about you, and I want to hopefully share some lessons and stories for aspiring entrepreneurs. Uh, Mark, tell me a little bit about yourself. So I grew up in St. Louis, uh, studied uh, public policy and literature, and three days after I graduated, I went off overseas thinking I could uh, uh, do good things in the world and uh, spent 10 years overseas. And there, my goal was nonprofit and public policy, but I learned the business and restructuring and fixing companies because that meant fixing communities in former Soviet Union. And then eventually I missed being a, a part of a community more than just being a businessman. And I had a sick father in St. Louis, so I came back to the U.S. and have been here now for 14 years. So your bachelor's degree is in public policy, and I understand also in literature. Um, so very, very interesting, uh, interesting information. Uh, I'm curious how that has propelled your career, or, or has it? <laughs> it absolutely has. And I get that question uh, and raised eyebrows quite a bit. <clears throat> in my world, everything is a story. People are stories. Businesses are stories. They have plots and subplots and characters. And so actually the literature degree helped me immensely in looking at everything and everyone around me, trying to find out uh, what's everyone's unique perspective on it. So over your 20 plus years um, in, in your career, you've been involved in founding companies and you've been involved in running companies. I'm curious where you feel that there are themes in successful organizations. What are the areas that, that or, or the people, the, the attributes of people or the attributes of companies that you think lead to success? Nothing well, so like starting with a, a tough question over there. Love it. So and if, we're, if we're talking about entrepreneurship, I'll share some advice that my, one of my very important career mentors gave me. So it was the first time I was leaving working for somebody else, and I went to him to tell him all, you know, for an hour or two, I was excited to share what I was doing. He stopped me 10 minutes in and said, okay, that's enough of that project. Now we're going to talk about what it means to be an entrepreneur. And what he told me was, you've got to work hard, be smart, and you've got to have some luck. He said, you know, you, you can work hard and be smart and not everything is going to go your way. So his advice to me was be ready to swing for the fence 10 times. And if you make it on the first one, two, three, four, five, consider it luck. And that really steeled me where I was going in ready to be so excited about the opportunity I had as a 28-year-old to start my own company. And he helped me understand it wasn't that company. It was me that was the asset. And so instead of getting too excited or upset about early successes or failures, it was that doggedness to just stay at it that I think really makes an entrepreneur successful. And do you believe that, that uh, you know, companies grow? Um, some companies grow and some companies fail. Do you believe that Ultimately, it's the same attributes within large companies and small companies um, that uh, the that the, are, are there some common denominators and themes that you've seen? Actually, more the opposite. So uh, I'm sure there are some common denominators. But from my perspective, you know, taking something, if you think of, of inertia, getting something that's not moving to start moving is a really unique effort. 
Now, maintaining movement once something is there is completely different. So I actually will often see entrepreneurs and friends that are good at one of those phases and not necessarily at the other phase. So I think important theme through all of it is knowing what your strengths are and making sure whether you start as a one or two person company or nonprofit as the impressive guys that were just here did. It is knowing uh, what you're good at, knowing your weaknesses and making sure you find people around you. Uh, to support you, lead you, and fill those gaps. For you personally, you, you as I mentioned, have been involved in, in running companies and founding companies. Being in business is really, it, it's, it's everything. It's, you're, you're involved in the finance, you're involved in the sales, you're involved in the people side of things. There's a lot that goes into running a business. For you personally, what is the most interesting and, dare I say, fun part of being in business? Yeah, so it's, for me, it's easy. There's two things. So one is the strategy. So to look and say, what does the world need? What's my customer's pain point? What's a consumer's pain point? To find a gap in what people need and then find the way to deliver the service or the product or the software to meet that need. Um, and, but that doesn't last all that long. Uh, that becomes, you know, 5 10% of the job after the original founding. And then it's to be a coach. I mean, I view the core of my job is to bring out the best in people. So I joke with my sales teams that, you know, my job is to sell the company, not to a buyer, but it's first to investors and second to the right talent. And when we get the right talent on the on the bus, as they say, um, there's nothing that can stop us. So something that I think about and talk about a lot is the uh, sort of balance of being proactive versus reactive. Um, Often day to day, uh, I know you and I have gotten together many times and you know, life comes at you while you're sitting together, the phone rings, and then somebody else taps you on the shoulder and somebody wants to talk to you. And easily that can consume uh, the average entrepreneur, business owner, uh, successful leader, pretty much all, it, it, it's all encompassing. You, you can spend each day, every day, and never move the needle forward. At the same time, I've also seen many people that are strategists, and they spend so much time thinking, planning, and, and writing plans and thinking of scenarios all the time and they plan so much, and they never actually get an opportunity to operate. What is your advice for an entrepreneur in terms of how to balance those two areas? It's a great question. And in any given moment or even any given week, it can be really difficult to do because you have so much coming at you. Uh, early in my career, I read a book that's, I think, been out there for 30 years. Um, I forget the exact title, but the theme was, are you working on the business or in the business? And that, to me, created a really stark divide. So if I'm working on the business, I'm changing something. I'm doing something new that doesn't exist versus in where I'm being reactive to the day-to-day needs of employees, customers, et cetera. And so to me, I would make a conscious choice and then evaluate myself every week. So I give myself a half an hour at the end of a week, at the end of the day Friday, and a half an hour at the beginning of the week on Monday to not react to anybody's emails or phone calls or conversations and to just take stock and say, what balance do I need next week of on versus in? And then on Friday, I look back and I evaluate what, were the, what was my percentage and what were the two or three or four, and I never go past four, most important things I had to do that week. And I make sure that those are not little things, but big things. Uh, so certainly uh, I'm hearing another uh, bit of advice as well, which is regarding time management. And some, so it sounds like you're suggesting at times you just need to block yourself off and allow that time to think. Absolutely. And, you know, and even more than time management, because at any one moment you can justify the emergency or reacting to the person in front of you. It's really making a conscious choice 
about how you want to manage yourself because you're the boss by definition. And then key for me is looking every week at how I did managing myself. Very, very interesting. Uh, Interesting advice. And uh, believe it or not, we don't have that much time left, but I want to squeeze in um, a couple of questions regarding the current climate and where, how things are currently. Certainly in your career, you've seen uh, technology advances, and I know that you've adapted and embraced technology uh, changes, but you've also watched the economy up and down. And I, uh, the reason I ask this question is I admire the, I've, I've watched some of the things that you've been involved in. What is your impression of where things are at right now in terms of the world of entrepreneurship and Chicago entrepreneurship specifically? We've seen, I'm, I'm pleased to say, I've seen a lot of change over the last 12, 15 years in Chicago entrepreneurship. Things like 1871 and Matter, there's an ecosystem now of angel investors and of entrepreneurs that are trying to do it. Frankly, you know, 10 years ago when I was starting companies here, um, once that company got traction, most funders were on one of the coasts and would try to get Chicago entrepreneurs to move. And that still happens, but it's less often. And, you know, in my company today, Mail Control, we've been able to raise quite a bit of money with a lot of support from folks here in Chicago, which feels really good and wasn't the case 10 or 15 years ago. Interesting. And I agree with what you're saying about the coast. It's funny. I've had conversations with uh, business people outside of the country and they ask me where Chicago is, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. But uh, it certainly uh, things have changed and things have improved. So, Mark, indeed, we are out of time, and I want to make sure that folks can get a hold of you. You're on LinkedIn, I believe. Absolutely. Is that the best way for people to get a hold of you? It is. Okay, fantastic. Well, Mark Grazman, let's uh, spell out your name so people can find you. G-R-A-Z-M-A-N. And uh, Mark is currently the Chief Operating Officer at Mail Control. I encourage you to uh, to look that up. But Mark Grazman, thank you for the advice, the candidness, and the, uh, the information um, regarding your career. I look forward to having you back on. Thanks, Shalom. Absolutely. And coming up, we've got more business jobs and entrepreneurship. Welcome back to the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. Give them a call, 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510, or visit their website, tandemhr.com. They have a regularly updated blog with uh, quite a bit of handy-dandy information that you will find to be very, very helpful in your world of entrepreneurship and business. And that is what this program is all about. So as business owners, salespeople, customer service reps, whatever your title may be, our job is to create the clearest communication possible. Yet, we often confuse and sometimes alienate our clients and prospects when we present their options tangled up with our opinions. So how do options and opinions get tangled up together? How can we prevent this confusion in our communication? It's something I think about a lot. Options refers to something that may be chosen. That's not my definition. That's from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And these can be viewed as a list of actions, products, or events that your customer can consider and then decide one or two or more of which they want to purchase or accept. While the customer's decision may be based on some emotion on their part, communicating options is a logical process. You might present options in a numbered list in a particular order based on things like uh, perhaps dates, location, price. You're providing your customer or prospects with facts based on 
discussions with them, and then stepping back and allowing them time and space to make a decision. No matter what the client or prospect decides, you learn something about them, their needs, and how to grow your relationship. Even if they don't choose any of the options you present, you'll still learn about their needs. Opinions, however, can be defined as a belief stronger than impression and less strong than positive knowledge or a formal expression of judgment or advice by an expert. Again, that's not my definition. That's from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And sharing your opinions with customers and prospects is often important and very valuable. An opinion is best expressed with a preamble such as based on my experience or what I've noticed or my preferences or what others are sharing with me or while this information may indeed be logical, it also includes your personal and sometimes emotional biases. When we mix opinions and options, we can create confusion, annoyance, and often lose the opportunity to grow a relationship with a client or a prospect. For example, a service provider sent me an email with several options for our next step. Based on, besides for each option, they included an opinion. We could do this for this result, and I've heard that this can add some time delays. Or... Uh, For example, it was this. So we could do this, but perhaps we want to do something else entirely. The options are there, but they're intertwined with other bits of information that muddled my decision-making. I had a cranky reaction, as you might imagine, to this bit of communication. And frankly, I felt kind of manipulated. Either the company wants to work with me and provides me with options to consider, or they want me to work with them, but not be straightforward with facts and their thoughts. In the end... I chose to walk away, and I want I showed I shared this information with you. But I'd love to hear what you have to think, and that's uh, what this show is all about. I love to get the opinions from our uh, from our listeners. Uh, again, uh, this is uh, a confusing topic of options versus opinions, and I I know that uh, that all of us uh, deal with this on a regular basis, whether we are on the receiving end. Or uh, perhaps we actually are the ones that are confusing other people. So I know many of our listeners are in the world of sales. Perhaps you disagree with my uh, with my little uh, uh, monologue over there about uh, options versus opinions. But I believe that the best way to help our customers, to help our clients, is indeed by uh, separating those two areas, giving people options. I've talked on this program quite a bit that I believe a great sales representative sure as heck makes sure that the information that uh, regarding their products or services are indeed provided to everybody that they talk to, that indeed it is pressed upon to people that are in the market for those products, but you don't need to talk about your services and push uh, services or products on somebody that's not in the market for that specific item or service or product. So uh, sales, I think uh, when you're in sales, you have a unique responsibility. And I'm curious how you, our listeners, are, uh, are uh, taking that responsibility seriously. Um, so uh, I'd, I'd welcome your opinions. You can get on my website, shalomkline.com, and uh, share your opinions with me. Uh, you can also download podcasts from the many hundreds of guests that we have had on the air over the past uh, five years on Get Down to Business. You could also, through my website, uh, purchase a copy of my new book, Get Down to Business. It's available on Amazon. And uh, if you purchase, uh, I share many of the bits of uh, advice and information from all of our guests 
um, tidbits of the past five years of the show. So once again, that book is called Get Down to Business. You can find it on Amazon.com or on my website, which that website is ShalomKlein.com. And you, believe it or not, you get a sneak peek of who will be on in the next week show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Coming up uh, later in the program, I'm going to tell you about where I have been for the past few weeks. Um, while you may have been listening to Get Down to Business, those were recorded shows. And uh, I have some information uh, for you, a very unique experience about uh, where uh, the uh, the host of Get Down to Business has been uh, over Christmas and New Year's. So you don't want to miss that. You're listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're powered by Tandem HR. Your Solutions Center. Get on my website, ShalomKlein.com. Get on Tandem HR's website, TandemHR.com. We're going to be right back. Chicago, don't touch that dial. Welcome back to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Uh, hope you are enjoying all of our fantastic guests. We've chatted with the founders of Chicago Furniture Bank. And once again, I'd encourage you to get on their website, chicagofurniturebank.org, as well as uh, fantastic entrepreneur Mark Grazman. We've talked about options versus opinions, and uh, I'll post that on my website so you can uh, hopefully learn more and once again uh, comment and respond and let me know what you think of that. But indeed, we are now halfway uh, through January, and that means it's time to get back out there and network. Uh, networking is, uh, everyone does it, but how do you do it well? That's the question that I have for you. Many uh, people uh, believe that networking uh, during a job search means calling everyone and asking for a job. And people associate networking with being uh, at, a, uh, at a party and, um, and, and sort of being overbearing. The truth is it's not about a job search. It's not about going to a party. It doesn't need to be social. It, it, it can absolutely be professional. It doesn't need to be overbearing. It doesn't need to be cheesy. Some people tend to hide away from networking because they don't want to be uh, viewed as that type of person. Networking really is a two-way street. It's a way of getting to know someone better and finding ways that they might be able to help you and how you can help them in return. That, in a summary, is everything that networking is all about. A professional networking event is a great opportunity to present yourself, make new connections, and even find yourself customers, find yourself opportunities. Current research shows that a majority of business is conducted, indeed, through networking. Successful networkers display a sincere interest in their networking contacts and work hard to develop a relationship, establish their credibility, and share information and knowledge. To become a successful networker, you should follow the belief that everyone has something to learn and gain. And I know uh, most of our listeners know this already, but it's a good, helpful reminder as we move into uh, 2018 and uh, you start to establish your plan of action. And I know here in Chicago, it's cold outside and uh, the snow is coming down and, and it's hard to get out and convince yourself that either on an evening or in the middle of the work day or perhaps getting out of bed in the morning um, in time for an early morning networking event is a good idea. But networking is an ongoing process. It requires persistence, attention, organization, and goodwill. Incorporate the art of networking into your business sales efforts, into your job search, into whatever the case may be, and you will gain opportunities and build relationships that will last a lifetime. Demonstrate your value to potential clients and employers with these simple 
successful networking tips. Number one is meet people through other people. The best and easiest way to meet people is through referrals. Stick around with the people you already know and who know the people you are looking to meet. Being introduced through them or joining in with their conversations, you will very likely receive a very warm welcome and introduction to the person you want to be introduced to. This is similar effect to LinkedIn. Really, networking is LinkedIn, but the live version. Um, and uh, even through joining the right circle at an event with somebody that you know. Leverage social media. I just mentioned LinkedIn, but social media is indeed an effective way to get to know important contacts better and without the pressure of a face-to-face meeting that you may not be prepared for. Seek out like-minded or key contacts that you want to know better um, through whether it's Facebook, Google+, Twitter, all sorts of different options, and try commenting on uh, on a link that they post or responding to a comment they make. Start a conversation with them and offer them value in return. When you have the opportunity to meet them in person, it will be easier to reference previous communications with them. And don't ask directly for business. Oh my gosh, that probably should have been tip number one. Don't make it so direct that you are uh, that you are basically saying your relationship with them is strictly for the business. Really, networking is not asking everybody you know for a client, for a sale, for a job. When you network, you should never ask someone for that. You should, uh, you should ask people for information that will assist you. Your main networking goal should be to build a relationship and establish rapport so that when a potential opportunity may arise in the future, your contact may be willing to refer you. And then don't take up too much time. This is really important. Before you start networking, be sure to have an agenda to keep the meeting on track. That was one of the most important lessons that I learned early on is think ahead of time. You don't actually need to draft an agenda. In fact, I'd argue and say that people that come to every single meeting with an agenda written down, they are being a little bit too overbearing. But have an agenda in mind. Think about the things that you want to talk about. We do it in business, hopefully, on the average day. You know what your agenda is. You know what things you want to accomplish. And, uh, and networking is certainly the same. Time is money. And people you are never happy with uh, sometimes take up too much time of your life. By uh, planning out your meetings ahead of time, you'll actually establish your uh, professionalism and you'll get credibility and you'll be able to cover the topics that you wanted to cover. And uh, on the same note, let other people speak. When networking, uh, be sure that you don't do most of the talking. The key to becoming a good conversationalist is becoming a good listener. If you've asked another person for advice or their opinion, make sure they have the opportunity to offer it and to tell you, or perhaps they are looking to add value um, in their work. And, and if you do all the talking, the person may feel that you are uninterested in what they have to say and unsure what action to take with the information that you have supplied. And so think about some of these questions. How long have you been with this company? How long have you been in this field? What do you like or dislike? What type of training have you had? What's the culture? And so on. You can learn a lot. Present success stories. Talk, talk about some of the, your clients. Talk about some of the people that you've worked with in the past. Stories I've found are truly the best way to share information. People relate to them quite well. And ask for suggestions on how to expand your network. There's nothing that a networker likes doing more than sharing advice about networking. So one of the main goals of networking is not only to meet the people, but to tap into their network of the people that you're meeting with. Each separate person you meet with will know approximately another 200 people, and they can make introductions. And find reasons to follow up. Remember to say thank you. And make sure you write a thank you note, send uh, follow-up emails, say thank you for your time. That's where the follow-up will happen. And as promised, I will share with you after this quick break, 
uh, a bit of where I have been. You're listening to Get Down to Business. Uh, We're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. So as promised, uh, after some fantastic conversations with uh, very interesting entrepreneurs, um, you've heard from uh, Griffin, uh, from James, and, and of course from Mark Griezmann. Uh, as promised, uh, I wanted to share uh, a bit of my experiences over the past few weeks, and indeed it's been very, very interesting. I've, I've shared on this program a little bit about travel and how that has opened up my eyes um, in many ways in uh, seeing the world, learning from other professionals and other people uh, in different parts of the world. So uh, recently, uh, we came back, literally just a few days ago, from our last two continents. Um, indeed, the, the last two places for us were South America and uh, Antarctica. And uh, again, over the past, it's really only been over the past couple of years, but um, have done quite a bit of travel uh, to many different uh, spots on the planet. Um, we've been uh, to uh, South Africa. We've been to Australia, New Zealand. We've been to Moscow, Russia. We've even been to Helsinki, Finland. We've been all over the place. Some of the places um, repeating visits because we like them so much. And indeed, I, I will be honest with you. There have been some places where I've been where uh, I don't need to go back again. It was it was fun to just visit one time. But the last uh, frontier for us um, was uh, Antarctica and South America. Um, although we've we've certainly spent time in Central America in the past. Um, but uh, there's nothing quite like uh, Chile and Argentina. Very, very interesting. It is summertime there, so a very welcome reprieve from our Chicago winter. We flew into Santiago, Chile, and then uh, got on a boat and went down to Antarctica. And uh, it was absolutely stunning, absolutely beautiful. Um, <laughs> looking at the uh, the ship, uh, it, indeed, there was sunlight um Pretty much the entire day, uh, when I looked at the screens on the ship, it showed sunset at uh, something like 12.30 a.m. and sunrise at about 2 a.m., so uh, only dark for a very, very, very short period of time. And uh, you looked outside and you saw icebergs, and that's kind of scary for those of us that have watched Titanic in the past, but uh, it really, really stunning to see those icebergs, uh, to see the wildlife, to see the whales, the dolphins, and the penguins, little tiny penguins. Um, really amazing, amazing experience. And for all of those of you, and I realize this might, uh, I might be alienating and offending some people over here, um, but hey, what the heck, why not? Uh, for those of you that question the effects of, uh, of global warming and it uh, being man-made, I can tell you that we, we saw the calving literally right there. We saw the glaciers. Um, we saw the, uh, the many, many glaciers that were there um, that have come off of the mountains. Um, and uh, we, we watched that. And we had the scientists, the station manager of McMurdo Station. The United States has three stations there um, on uh, Antarctica, and uh, they are the liaisons between all of the federal units of government that are involved in research. Uh, the military themselves do not conduct any military operations on Antarctica, but they conduct research and they support research operations. So the station manager uh, joined, uh, boarded our ship, and we had the opportunity to talk to him and ask him some questions. And he talked about uh, the things that he's seen. And he's been doing this for 20 years, and he has seen the effect. And he's he's uh, he was quite candid with us about what he's seeing, and not in a political sense, but just watching what has taken place. So um, I, I will be honest in saying that, obviously, ships coming through Antarctica uh, certainly uh, 
has a footprint as well. Um, but as the uh, the station manager mentioned, there's enough education that takes place through the visitors in Antarctica coming uh, as passengers on the ships and being exposed to the uh, to the effects. Uh, and beauty of Antarctica that then go back home like myself and our advocates and ambassadors for hopefully protecting um, this very, very special place on on Earth. So that's where we were for Christmas and New Year's and then worked our way back up um, to Buenos Aires, Argentina, where, again, it was steamy, steamy hot. Um, So a very welcome reprieve from the Chicago winter. We uh, were there and then flew all the way back to Chicago. So great, great experience. Met some amazing people on board the ship. Um, uh, thought you would want to know a little bit about that. And of course, I'm happy to share more of my experiences. I've posted some pictures on my website. Check it out, shallowpline.com. It's also where you can download podcasts. Check out our sponsors, TandemHR, tandemhr.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.